You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 229. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Rent the Runway. Rent the Runway has a new program called Unlimited, which I am so excited to be able to use once I have my future life and home, and I would love for you guys to start trying this out if it sounds like a fit for you too. It is so simple. It's basically like Netflix for clothes. For a flat monthly price, you get to rent unlimited designer pieces on rotation. You get to pick three pieces at a time and keep them for as long as you want. And whenever you're ready for something new, you swap them out for any other pieces that you want for fresh styles. And if you love something so much you wanna keep it, you can actually buy it at an exclusive discount and have it forever. This is the perfect way to kind of, for me especially, as I think about not wanting to create a huge wardrobe like I used to have as I settle back down into a more stable future. I love the idea of using this as a way to have new pieces without having more stuff. And then if I do love something, I take it and I keep it. And if I don't, I pass it on, I give it back and I get something new. I truly think this is such an amazing company and an amazing concept, and I'm so jealous a little bit that you guys get to start this first. So if you wanna do this, I can give you 25% off because you're a Lively Show listener. What you'll wanna do is go over to rentherunway.com slash unlimited, and then enter the code Lively. The code Lively is valid through December 31st, 2017, and like I said, I think this sounds truly incredible. And once I have a base where I can have these clothes shift to me, I'm so excited to try this myself. All right, guys, here I am. I'm in London. And over the last few weeks, I did a training with Marissa Peer, who's our guest today from marissapeer.com. Marissa Peer has been rated consistently one of the top, if not the top therapist in London, in the UK, and therefore one of the top therapists around the world for many years. And she has developed a program, a protocol called RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. This is a hypnotherapy process that helps you to change physical and mental barriers, things that are causing you emotional or physical pain in many cases, and in most, I wouldn't say every single case, but in very most cases, in one or two sessions instead of years of talk therapy. Why, you might ask? It's because she's using the subconscious, which is where the 95% of us is all the time anyways, and has the programs that determine our automatic behaviors. As we try to change with talk therapy, for example, with the 5% of our conscious mind, we're going around and around in circles, but we're not getting to the deeper root. The root is in the subconscious, and this process through rapid transformational therapy is what I have found as one of two ways to get into the subconscious and change beliefs. This one truly has been the most profound, deepest, and personally life-enhancing. You'll hear the ways that it's affected me and many others through this conversation with Marissa. So let's just get straight into the interview. Let's go to the show. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's lovely to be here. This is going to be a big thing on the show, I can already tell. But let's start first with how you got to where you are. Well, I actually always wanted to be a child psychologist when I was growing up. I kind of wanted to be a teacher because my father was a very eminent, rather wonderful teacher. And I thought that's what I want to do. 
But actually the reality of being a child psychologist, especially when you're very young, like in your 20s, is that you have three patients, mother, father, child, and some of the parents are right in the way of what you want to do. So I found it was kind of what I thought it would be. And I ended up giving that up and going to LA and working for Jane Fonda in her workout studio in South Robertson Boulevard. And that was tremendous fun. But I noticed then, this was in the 80s, that every third woman was anorexic or bulimic or exercise compulsive or body dysmorphic. And then just by a sheer fluke, I came across hypnosis and thought, oh, this is amazing. If I train in this, I can still work for Jane, but I can also do hypnotherapy because I missed the kind of mental stimulation, although I love teaching exercise classes. And of course, Jane had had a very well-publicized eating disorder. So I went off to hypnotherapy school and it was extraordinary. I, I found that I was working with bulimics and anorexics and getting really profound change in them very quickly. But then people would ring me up and go, look, I know that you work with anorexics, but I've got a dental fear, but I only want to see you because I've seen what you can do. And so I started to diversify, which actually was much, much more interesting. And then I was just seeing clients with everything, fear of lifts, fear of bees, can't speak in public, drinking, smoking. And then from there, I got asked to work on quite a few television shows and that was amazing. And then I wrote some books. And now I've almost come full circle. I was going to be a teacher. And it's so weird because now I'm a teacher after all. But I teach other therapists to do what I do and non-therapists to become phenomenal therapists and to get really powerful results very quickly. It's amazing. And what I would love to know is why when you had the traditional talk therapy background originally before Jane Fonda, what got you into hypnotherapy when you went and returned back into it? Why hypnotherapy instead of traditional? Well, it's just somebody told me about this great guy called Gil Boyne, who was an amazing hypnotherapist. And um, when I was growing up, I had the illness. Of symptoms. I never thought I was thin enough. And I always wanted to be thinner. And I was always working out or starving myself and it was really the bane of my life and I thought oh I'm going to go and do some hypnosis for me and stop this obsession with counting calories and it was so profound that I thought oh wow I'm not just I'm going to learn this because at the time I had two roommates in West Hollywood one was bulimic one was anorexic and one used to freeze grapes and eat one an hour the other one used to defrost a cheesecake and eat the whole thing while crying hysterically, I'm thinking, you know what, this is actually now feels normal, but it's not normal. And so it was after sorting myself out so profoundly, that I just fell in love with hypnosis because I really saw what it could do. But I also saw that the traditional hypnotherapy that I was trained in, I could change it and adapt it and merge it and make it even more powerful. And I did. It's amazing. And so one thing I notice as I start to share this with people, because I'm just like you, I had a session of one of your therapists that, have, that are trained in RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy, which is your therapy that you've created, as you've just shared. So one thing I know that there's a there's this hesitation around hypnotism and being hypnotized. And I even myself felt like it was a gullible thing. It was a weird stigma. And I'd love to know why is there such a stigma around Around hypnosis in our culture? Well, I think it's partly to do because we watch a movie where someone is hypnotized and then they kill someone or they do crazy things. 
or we hear a song where they go, you got me hypnotized, I looked in your eyes, and now I'm hypnotized. And the media, without meaning to, tells people that when you get hypnotized, you're out of control. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, when you're hypnotized, you are totally in control. The difference is you have access to memories that you might have forgotten. And so in talk therapy, you go to see a therapist and go, you know, I'm really scared of being underwater or I can't get in a lift or I can't go on an airplane. And the talk therapist will spend ages saying, well, how does that make you feel? And let's talk about that and let's draw pictures of an airplane and let's look at videos of an airplane. And they try and desensitize you. It takes a long time. With hypnosis, you just have an account of five and your mind is going to uncover why you're scared of flying. Because if you've ever been on a flight with some small children, they don't know how to fear flying because they don't even know what it is. And so once you click your fingers, the mind will reveal to you immediately why and how and where you got to be the way you are. And in that revelation follows transformation because most people say, I don't know why I can't resist cake. I don't know why I sabotage every relationship. I don't know why. The minute things are going well for me, I I just go into self-destruct. And of course you don't know why. And if you don't know why, it's actually very, very hard to fix what you don't understand. The minute you can go, oh, well, now I see that when I was two, a cat jumped into my pram, my mom screamed and was hysterical. And that left me with a belief that cats are scary or dogs attack you or bees can sting you. And I realize now that I acquired that fear when I was two and it's not mine. And so the thing about hypnosis that's so important is the going back, but you're never out of control. You can't do anything that you wouldn't do normally. In fact, if hypnotists had that much power, they'd all be multimillionaires because they'd all be saying, just stick another zero on the payment or leave me something wonderful in your will. And, you know, I have clients who are billionaires. And while I often get sent flowers and hampers and even perfume. No one's ever sent me a Ferrari. And if I was that suggestible, don't you think I could have said to one of my rich billionaires, why don't you send me a Ferrari? It's nothing to you. But there's no way I could do that. And there's no way they would accept that because you can only make people do what they already want to do. Like if you said hypnotize me to be a brain surgeon, I couldn't do that. I could hypnotize you to have the drive and the discipline and the dedication and the work ethic to go to medical school but I couldn't make you be a brain surgeon. So you can unlock what's in someone. You can fire them up with phenomenal potential and drive and ambition and dedication. But you can't say, abracadabra, you're a millionaire or abracadabra, you're a perfect size zero with this amazing Beverly Hills body. You know, when I see clients who want to change their shape, I can hypnotize them to really love healthy food and to love going to the gym, but they still have to go to the gym. So hypnotism is really about accessing the subconscious mind. And as you share that story, that memory of the two-year-old, I'd like to say for anyone that's listening, you might be thinking, that's ridiculous. I could not remember what happened to me when I was two. What's fascinating having gone through the training myself is seeing so many people have memories from even to their first steps, things that they don't consciously recall In the subconscious, while hypnotized and relaxed, they can access those types of memories. Is that what you found as well? Oh, yes. I mean, many years ago, this young girl who was terribly claustrophobic to such an extent that her father had to bring her to my office and kind of 
carry her in because she couldn't be in the car and she couldn't be in enclosed spaces. And when I hypnotized, she went back to being born and her mother was 16 years old and trying to give birth upstairs. The parents didn't know she was pregnant and she just couldn't do it. And the mother just gave up and passed out and the baby was stuck in the birth canal. And that's where she got this fear of enclosed spaces. It's where she became claustrophobic. It was fascinating that that happened during her birth. Wow. And she remembered that during the hypnosis. Remembered all of it and then asked her mother and said that was exactly how it happened. I had another client who could not get pregnant. And that's very interesting when people have unexplained infertility because here's the thing. Unexplained infertility means I can't explain what's wrong with you because your ovaries are fine, your womb is fine, everything is fine. And so with her, when I regressed her back, she actually went back to her own birth where her mother hemorrhaged and they were both rushed to separate hospitals. And I actually looked at that. And then she later called her mother and said, mom, what happened when I was born? And the mother described exactly that. Oh, I bled so much. Um, they lifted you out. I was rushed to another hospital for a blood transfusion. I didn't see you for a whole week. And that little girl in the beginning thought she'd killed her mother. And of course, that was her only experience of birth. And it was very traumatic. So it left her with a belief that, you know, when you have a baby, you can die, it can kill you. And that's why she couldn't get pregnant. And she didn't even know that from her childhood that that happened. She didn't know. No one had ever told her. The mother never discussed it. But you see, babies are pure sensation. And so when you're being born, if your mother says, you know, many of my clients, for instance, who can't get pregnant, will go back to being born, held in the arms, the neighbors come in. How was it? Oh, don't ask. I nearly died. I bled for three days. I thought I was being ripped in half. It was agony. Never again. And of course, the baby in arms hears that. And all they understand is that, oh, having a baby is agony. And of course, then we have secondary infertility where someone's had a baby. So I got pregnant really easily. I got pregnant within three months of trying, got this beautiful baby, tried to have another one. Nope, nothing's happened. I've been trying for five years. And that's because when they give birth, they come home and say things like, oh my God, I couldn't do this again. Or can you imagine if we had two? Oh, those sleep, I'd just be dead with those sleepless nights and two screaming babies. And I kill myself if that happens. And we say these funny throwaways, that would kill me. That would destroy me. That would be hell. That would be a nightmare. You know, we have this dialogue with ourselves. Oh, the commute to work is killing me. That client is making me lose my mind. And we don't understand that our mind listens to every word we say. The minute we say that's going to kill me, that's going to be the death of me, that's a nightmare. That's a disaster. Our mind says, you know what? My job is to keep you alive against all odds. So I just have to make sure that you stay away from anything that you say is killing you. So when people say that, that boy broke my heart into a million pieces, I'd rather be on my own for the rest of my life than go through that pain again. Of course you forget. Obviously you forget. But then you say, I don't know why. I've never had a relationship since. And I seem to push people away because your mind has a very clear belief being loved hurts you. So don't be loved. Then you can't be hurt. The mind is very logical. And once you go and have a look at it, it unravels stuff and sorts it out for you. Absolutely. Actually, do you want to hear my story of the transformation? 
Oh, yes. I'd love to. Okay. So I had a session in, in Ibiza with Anne, who was one of the therapists that was there at AFAST when I saw you do your workshop. I immediately went over to her afterwards and said, I want to do this. I want to sort out why I never got a period my entire life naturally. I went on the birth control at 18, never having a period beforehand, and only had periods on birth control, which is not ovulation. So she regressed me back, and I and my friends are always shocked when I say, they're like, never? And I'm like, no, I said never. That's what I mean, <laughs> never. And the whole audience has heard me go through this whole journey of eating su- certain foods, supplements, all this crazy stuff. But I finally did the RTT, because I didn't know about it until I knew about it. And we went back to some really weird memories, but they took to me at the time, didn't even fully make any logical sense. She thankfully was there to help me kind of put it together because the left hand, right hand, as you guys will learn and see as we do some example sessions here on the show, you'll see and hear about that. But as I was trying to make sense of those memories, it wasn't logical, quote unquote, the way an adult would make a logical conclusion, right? These are choices and decisions made by a very young person, which was most of the memories were from when I was five or younger. But basically, my family is wonderful and they love me very much, but they show me love in ways that were not what my love languages were. So I grew up not feeling loved in the way I wanted to. And growing up at a very early age, I wanted to have a baby when I was older so I could give and receive love in the way I wanted to. However, given the fact that I wasn't able to receive the emotional feelings of love the way that I wanted in the love languages I have in my family, I kind of found it safer to isolate myself from my family emotionally so I couldn't be hurt in that way. And then she helped me to see that I decided at a subconscious level to shut down the ability to have the baby at the same time because it would be protecting me from getting hurt emotionally in the future. So two days later, I had a period. And I was like, okay, that could have been a fluke. I don't know. But I was getting my period at this point a few months ago, every three to five months apart. And then I was like, let's just see if it happens the next time in a normal period you know, 28 days. It happened at like day 30 or 31. So we'll see if it continues to unfold in this way. But now I've unraveled all the subconscious beliefs I had through a different modality to deal with subconscious around food and sensitivities. And now I eat whatever I want. I have one supplement I take and I listen to the recording that she had made for me around these old beliefs and this outdated pattern for about not even the full 21 days, just even seven days. And I'm getting a period and my skin's fine and everything is returned, quote unquote, back to normal. Yeah. And I see that with so many women who can't menstruate and want to have a baby. And I had the very same thing with a girl who couldn't get pregnant because she didn't have any periods and she couldn't even have IVF because she just didn't ovulate. And she went back to a very similar thing. She went back to being 13 and she was the only girl in her class with periods. And she was so embarrassed because she couldn't swim. And she went back to another scene where her aunties had all come for Sunday lunch and she had cramp and she stayed in bed all day. And she said, I hate periods. I just wish I never had them. And then within a matter of months, she didn't have any for 13 years from the age of 13 until 26. And I did a session with her and she ran me. I said, what's so weird is it's come back immediately. And I said, that's great. And the next month she said, oh, it hasn't come back. It only worked once, but I knew she was pregnant. I didn't say anything to her. And then a month later, she said, I'm pregnant. I said, I knew that, of course. And now she's got two children and she has totally normal periods. And what's also so nice is that 
I was working with another girl, I think I told you in the class, the girl in Australia who was hemorrhaging. And four days after the session, she said, I've had the first normal period ever. It was just what you said, four days, quite scan, nothing. I can play tennis, I can swim. I went from having unbearable agonizing periods where I took to my bed for a week to not even noticing I had them. Because it's very easy to communicate with your mind because your body is controlled by a network of intelligence which is influenced by your mind and it influences your hormones and you can choose what kind of period you're going to have, you can choose what kind of body you're going to have, what kind of mood you're going to have if you know how to dialogue with your mind. Like I decided I'd give birth in five hours and we're exactly the same a week later and I did. I put on my jeans, nobody could believe I just had a baby they said, what about postnatal depression? I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm having postnatal euphoria. I don't know what postnatal depression is. And my baby never cried. And she was just so easy because I was constantly at my pregnancy into my mind, this is what I want. I'm just going to gain the, the bump, just the baby. She's going to be great. It's going to be an easy birth. And she's going to be a little perfect little thing who sleeps a lot and really doesn't cry. And exactly how I told my mind it should be is exactly how it was. Now, this is going to sound insane to people. They're going to think that you are the furthest thing from someone who is insane. But that does sound so unbelievable, I'm sure, to people listening. Can you explain more about the conscious mind and the subconscious to help people understand why this is so powerful and why this works? And you know, we all do it every day. So your subconscious mind has one job to do, and it's not to make you happy. It's to keep you alive on the planet against what were once not great odds. So your mind's job is to keep you alive. And that's why if you eat something that makes you sick, you'll find that you can never eat it again. Or if your first boyfriend is called Ian and he's awful to you, you hate that name. Or your first teacher is called Claire and she's really mean. You're never going to call your first daughter Claire. So our mind is always looking for what causes us pain. And it's always listening to what we want. And, you know, most of us do this. We go, oh. I just want a week off. What I would give for a week off, just lying on the sofa watching TV, and your mind goes, you want a week off? Lying on the sofa watching TV? That's what you told me you want. Boom. Now I've given you the flu, and there you are on the sofa watching TV because you told me you wanted that. And we don't use powerful enough language. You go, oh, God, I'm dreading. Next Wednesday, I stupidly volunteered to chair a meeting in my boss's absence or I'm going to have this appraisal. I've got to have an assessment. And God, I, what I'd give to get out of it. If only I didn't have to go. And next Wednesday, you wake up with a migraine or diarrhea or a headache. Because you're like, you said you didn't want to go. And I listened to what you said. And I've got you out of it. And because our mind does this anyway, you might as well talk to it in a better way. Instead of going, I'm dreading the assessment. So I'm going to sail through that assessment. When I open my mouth, my boss can see how intelligent I am, and he loves my ideas, and everything I say makes sense. So here's a choice. If I look at a cake, I gain a pound. Yesterday I ate pizza, and I know this weekend I won't fit into my jeans. I know I'm going to get sick because I stayed up late and I was out in the rain. That's a command. How about saying whatever I eat, my metabolic rate adjusts and I burn it all off. Yeah, I was out in the rain in wet clothes, but my immune system is so strong, a little bit of rain couldn't do me the slightest bit of harm because you do have a choice here and we all talk to ourselves all day and all you have to do is talk to yourself better and understand that your mind loves words that are powerful, that make a picture. So when you say, 
oh, just thinking about asking for that raise makes me feel elated. So because I know I'm going to get it because I'm showing my boss how valuable I am to this company. So I'm excited when I think about going on a date with this guy. Just asked me, I'm excited. I'm ecstatic. He's going to just love me because I'm a great person. Or oh my god, my stomach's in knots. He won't like me. I've got cellulite. I'm just a waitress. What have I got to offer? You know, we do have a choice. And when you have a brilliant brain, which we all have, here's your choice. Rationalize why it's all going to go wrong or talk yourself into it going amazing. Because there's not that much difference except for the words you use. And the words you use determine the outcome you will get. So I've been very big on the law of attraction, not from the secret or some superficial level, but from a really deep, profound level, this subconscious, as I've been doing this deep work in the last year to unravel this whole law of attraction thing, the subconscious, I think, is that receiving mechanism that even what you're saying, and even if you don't even believe in the law of attraction at all, just what you're saying is literally proving that to be true, at least on the level of your words and how your brain responds to what you say and gives you what you ask for, whether you actually want it or not, right? Like you were saying, you might not want to get sick, but if you say you will, it will give that to you. Yeah, you know, my mother, bless her heart, would always go, I'm going to get a headache now because that heating is on too high. I'm going to get sick because thunderstorms affect my sinuses. If I eat bread, I get ill. And she was such a teacher to me because I swore I would do the opposite. And I did. And, you know, we should really teach people this because we're all taught, you know, collaboration and communication skills are very important. But actually, the most important thing is how you collaborate with yourself. You know, a lot of women don't even know they've got their period until they go to the bathroom and discover they go, oh, now I've got the cramp. Oh, I'm so tired. And yet an hour before you didn't even know it was going on, you were whizzing around the office, making calls, having a wonderful time. We allow ourselves to really wander over to the negative side of thinking when it's just as easy to race across to the positive side because you do always have a choice. And actually, if you look at very successful people, for instance, I work with Olympic athletes and they never wake up and go, I'm really not in the mood for training. I just can't be bothered. It's so hard. I have to get up at 5 a.m. and run in the dark. They go, I am going to get a medal at the Olympics. I'm taking that medal. It's got my name on it. And this is the price I pay. And, you know, people like Jalen and go, I want to eat pizza and cake. They say, I want to go on stage. I make a lot of money from looking amazing. I don't eat cake. And they do that very easily. So you just have to look at people who are very, very successful. You notice that being negative is a luxury that they really, really cannot afford. And yet people who don't have that success or have that success and they lose it all tend to use very negative language. Oh, it's hell to tour. Oh, it's a nightmare being on stage. Oh, it's killing me having to do these hours. Or other people say, well, I would never complain about my life because I'm so fortunate. I'm so privileged. You know, you, you have a choice. We always have a choice. And when you bitch and moan, your mind believes that you don't want it. So hypnotism is about relaxing the nervous system in order to access the subconscious. So I have two questions. Why do we have to relax the nervous system? And where physically do we believe right now the subconscious actually lives in our bodies? Well, your subconscious is part of your mind rather than part of your brain. You have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. And more of your mind is subconscious and conscious. And 
it is relaxing the nervous system because hypnosis is classified as a sleep of the nervous system. And the reason for that is that one of the rules of the mind is that when you're dealing with the subconscious mind, the greater the conscious effort, the less the subconscious response. So here's an example. You're trying to remember the name of that book you read last year or that movie you saw, that restaurant you went to. You think, what is the name, the name, the name of that restaurant? And you just can't get it. And you give up. And five minutes later, when you're talking on the phone to someone, you go, oh, I've got it. It's called La Argentine or whatever it is, or the movie was called Foxcatcher. Because when you're dealing with the subconscious mind, the minute you use the conscious, the subconscious mind stops. So it's like getting in bed and going, I'm going to try to sleep. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to relax. When you consciously try, the subconscious just doesn't bother. When you stop, the subconscious will take over. So when you stop trying to relax, you often relax. When you stop trying to sleep, sleep will come to you. So in hypnosis, you need to get the conscious to stop and to let the subconscious take over. And just rolling up the eyes and going down some steps is how you do it. But it, it doesn't have to be hypnosis. Meditation can have the same effect. A lot of people are very scared of hypnosis. But it's just a tool to access the subconscious mind. And when you access the subconscious mind, you need the conscious to stop interrupting. I think you said it beautifully. So I think this will hopefully help anyone that has weird feelings around hypnosis to realize what's actually happening. And this was something I know I needed to listen to. That's why I wanted to really make sure we clarified that. It's a bit like trying to have great sex or trying to dance. You know, if you try to have great sex, it's only really great when you stop trying. And it's only really great dancing when you stop trying and just do it. So um, you know how you try to do, when I first did Pilates, it actually, I just couldn't get it. There was so much to remember because I was consciously doing it. But when I got all the moves together, a bit like learning to drive a car, I subconsciously did it. And then you just go into the flow. One of the things I found so eye-opening over the last few weeks with this and learning more is how much the brain gives us disease or health issues when it quote unquote thinks it's trying to protect us or punish us. Why is that? And do you think that almost all disease is based on the subconscious trying to protect or punish us? I think so many modern diseases. I think possibly not before, but I think um, if we look at all the things we have in the modern world, the asthma, the eczema, the migraines, the dermatitis, the twitches, the panic attacks, the ulcers, all the diseases that come from the nervous system. And then we see so many young children now that also have asthma and eczema and irritable bowel. And so many of these diseases are to protect us. So I have something I invented that I'm immensely proud of called role function purpose. And I was working with someone yesterday who had severe gluten intolerance and she was telling me in hypnosis that when she was little she'd look after her younger brothers and sisters and no one looked after her and her mother worked nights and the father had left home and at 10 she was given the job of looking after two very small children of three and four she didn't sign up for that and when she didn't want to do it anymore she got these this extreme gluten intolerance and was confined to her bed and she understood that her mind gave her that because she kept saying i want someone to look after me i don't get any attention 
this isn't fair, I want to be taken care of. And lo and behold, she got an illness that required her to be taken care of. And many, many children who don't get attention, who get replaced by another baby or compared to another child, will get the kind of illnesses that get them a lot of attention. So, I mean, most GPs, in fact, all of them will tell you that many, many of their clients come in with real illnesses, but their origin is psychosomatic. So the migraine is real. Of course it is. The, the depression is real. The stress and panic attacks are real. But what's causing them is not organic. It's psychosomatic. Really, depression. I always thought that was about a lack of serotonin in the brain. Is the brain creating that lack? Well, you know, if you go to tribes and undeveloped countries, I mean, I go to Zimbabwe a lot, and you just don't see the levels of depression there. I mean, yeah, we can go, look, they live a different life, they're outside, and that's true, but depression has now been very, very linked to not following your heart's desire. And when you don't follow your heart's desire, you become depressed. I see so many clients go, I wanted to be a tennis coach, but I became an accountant because it's the family. I wanted to be a nurse, but my parents said I had to go to law school. And the other thing that causes depression, which is really being scientifically proven, is harsh, hurtful, critical words that we say to ourselves on a regular basis. You know, if we spoke to our friends the way we spoke to ourselves, it'd be longer. We wouldn't say to our friends, oh my God, your legs are so fat, you look awful in those skinny jeans, or, oh, my God, your hair looks terrible. Look at your skin. You look awful in the outfit. You're not interesting. Why would any guy be interested in you? You haven't got enough to offer. You're not a 10. All those other girls are way prettier than you and funnier than you and taller than you with nicer hair than you. We would never say that to our friends, and yet we talk to ourselves in the most disparaging way, and then we wonder why we get depressed because – that's what is a cause of depression, harsh, hurtful, critical words that we say to ourselves on a daily or at least on a frequent basis. What about the idea of genetic linking with family members? A lot of people I know say, well, my mom had it or my family members have it, therefore I have it. Do you think that's connected? Yeah. Well, you know, they've got a lot of studies that say women who are adopted have exactly the same periods as their adoptive mothers. If the mother walks around going, oh my God, I've got the curse and the cramp, and I'm in so much pain, and I can't go to work, and need to take to bed with a hot water bottle. Their daughters have the same periods. And women who say, period, what's that? I'm going to play tennis now, and I, I don't even honestly even notice them, actually have those types of period too. So with depression, very little children see mom lying on the sofa going, I'm depressed, and I can't cope, and I just can't get any enjoyment out of life. And you see, you learn what you live. And if you live that, you learn that, oh, life makes you depressed. The weather makes you depressed. You, you can't be happy because you haven't got enough money. And it's a bit like if you travel with a mother who has car sickness or has a fear of flying. Babies look to the mother to see how to interpret the world. Oh, flying makes you nervous and you need to take pills. Being in a car makes you travel sick. So we really do learn what we live. And we know that very anxious, nervous mothers have anxious, nervous babies, whereas hippies go, everything's going to be fine, and this is all wonderful, and who needs antibiotics anyway? I mean, I have friends who've got four children, they are hippies, and I have never seen such well-adjusted, nice children as theirs. Do they never worried about a thing? 
they did they they were just so uninterested in worrying and i was always intrigued at how they brought up these kids and i knew they'd be amazing and they really are I actually wonder with even just birth order that typically a lot of times, and I would be at least looking at my own family, the more type A of the siblings. But I also wonder if the mother, as the mother relaxes with, you know, the first child's not allowed to touch a germ and by the third or fourth child, they're eating dirt and they don't care. I wonder if that plays out even in the same family dynamic. Yeah, the third or fourth child often have a much easier time in in terms of the parent, like the other I wasn't even to go out on dates. Till I was 18 and you're allowed to go out at 14. My mom was terrified of me going out. You do relax more with each child. That's very good. The downside of that is that if the first child is particularly bright and talented, the parents will expect each subsequent child, well, your brother's so smart. Why aren't you like him? Or your sister, she had no problem doing math. What's wrong with you? So there can be a negative to being the last one. We always think the last one is the baby and gets lots and lots of attention. But I worked with someone who had a real problem speaking. You know, she had no voice and she spoke in a kind of whisper and she was very reticent. She said whenever she sat at the dinner table and went to speak, her four siblings would go, well, you're just the baby. No one's interested in you. No one wants to hear what you've got to say because you're just a baby. And they always called her the baby when she was 11. And she went through life believing that no one's interested in me. And that was interesting how her family order it had a significant and very detrimental effect on her yeah so what we're saying here just for everyone listening is yes it's not just physical things that people are impeded by in their lives this is also just mental mindsets that then affect ways that they function or creating pain in their lives and this stuff is stuff you can go to talk therapy and talk about for a very long time but it's not getting to the root and it's not changing things so let's talk about RTT specifically. Why is it so different from other therapies and modalities? And why is it so powerful? And why can so much be accomplished in just one session? So I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And I started off doing traditional hypnotherapy, never traditional talk therapy, because I always thought, well, that just takes far too long. We know that something happens in the mind during hypnosis that doesn't happen when you're out of hypnosis. And that is that the mind can be programmed to respond to change. And so over that 30 years, I noticed what really worked with clients and I noticed specific things that worked. And I noticed that repeating those things with other clients had the same effect. So in traditional therapy, they may regress you back to a scene to look at why you have, let's say, a fear of dogs or a fear of heights. What I noticed is that you need to go back to at least three scenes because the real skill is is putting them together and seeing a scene playing out more than one or two times and making sense of it. So the first thing that is so important, I can't even emphasize it enough, is that events don't really affect us, but the meaning we attach to an event is what affects us, the interpretation of event. You can get two children, both had the same upbringing, both with a totally different perception of what that meant. And in conventional therapy, you're lucky if the therapist ever finds out why you are the way you are. But even if they do, they will tell you, in their opinion, why you are the way you are. Now, what I found amazing was getting the client to tell me. Because I thought, well, if it's their interpretation that's affecting them, surely I should find out what their interpretation is from them rather than interpreting it myself. So I began to get my clients very, very involved in the therapy, and I'd take them back to a scene, 
And I do something called left hand, right hand, which is look at the scenes in your left hand. Look at you today in your right hand and explain how those scenes have caused now. And they do it so beautifully. And you think, wow, this is really working because the client gets it. You see, in conventional therapy, how do you even know that the client gets it? They sit there and they tell you how they feel and they come back the next week to tell you how they feel. But how do you know that they've made this powerful transformation? The second thing that I started to do, because I'm always being very inventive as a therapist, was to take clients back to those same scenes again, the scenes that came up in the regression, like the girl who remembered being stuck in the birth canal was able to give me an interpretation. Well, my first experience is being trapped, and now I avoid being trapped at all costs because I never want to be reminded of how I thought I was going to die because I was trapped. So I didn't get in a lift because if I get stuck in there, you're going to have to feel that feeling all over again. So you can see how I'm letting them interpret it. The girl who said, I remember the birth and all the blood and all the screaming. My mother was raced away and I was raced away. And this belief that, wow, birth can kill somebody. And I can see that. But then what I do is I get them to go, that's not me because. And again, the client does it. So my client who was stuck in the birth canal would say, well, that's not me because I'm never going to be born again. So clearly it's never going to happen again. And when I have my own baby, I can have a cesarean. And if I go into a lift and I have a mobile phone, I'll never be trapped again. And even if I was, I can sit on the phone. I can call people. I know that lifts have a call button and I can do certain things, but I will never again be a helpless baby trapped in the womb. The little girl with the cat that jumped in the stroller would say, well, that's not me because I'm not too. And I don't have to be scared of cats. And I realize that cats are actually far more scared of me. And it's not me because I'm not strapped in a pram. I'm not a helpless baby. So when you have the client go, that's not me because, and finish the sentence, it will never be me because. It's a complete severing. They sever what I call the luggage of life that they've carted around these beliefs they finally give up this belief where they go, well, you know, I know I'm morbidly obese, but when I was born, I was premature. My parents had to drop milk into my me from a little milk dropper and I nearly died. And it's a story, but it's like, yes, but now you weigh 400 pounds because you keep telling yourself that story. And then they turn to the story different. They go, well, it's not me. And clearly I don't need, that's never going to happen. And now I can be slim and slender without thinking it's life-threatening. So it's certain little techniques I put together because I found them so effective. In fact, the simplicity of the techniques is out of all proportion to the powerful transformation they have on my clients. And I think that when you're listening to this, guys, as you're listening, you might go, okay, that seems pretty basic. But I think when you're in hypnosis, when you're in that subconscious, because as you're going through the regressions, you're experiencing or viewing those memories as though you were there. You may not obviously feel fully immersed in it, but you're able to access the emotion that's trapped in that feeling and memory, and then you're able to heal it from that place. And when you're in your conscious mind, the beta brainwave that you're in as you're listening to this, it's not going to seep in. It's not going to sink in as powerfully as when you're in that really slow brainwave that the therapy 
therapy is actually happening in. So think of how powerful this is and then amplify this tenfold, twentyfold when you're in the experience of it. Because once you're there and you make that transformation from the same place that's creating those beliefs that are holding you back, that's when the transformation shifts. Is that what you find as well? Yeah. I find that people really transform. You know, most people walk, wander through life going, I don't know why I am the way I am. I guess I'm just screwed up or damaged or unable to be helped, which is very frustrating because you can't really fix what you don't understand. When they go, oh, today I found out why I am the way I am. It makes perfect sense. And now I understand it. I never have to feel like that again. Of course, one of the most powerful parts of the therapy is having done the regression, the little steps, like it's not me and there are a few others too, is to then end it with a recording that really says to the client, that's not you and this is how you are now and you're like this and you're like this and you've transformed and now you love speaking in public. You have a beautiful relationship with your husband. You're an amazing mother. You easily drop 50 pounds and look amazing whatever it is they want to hear you you access the imagination and then you excite it because the imagination actually really rather loves being excited yes and i can even say i had a session it was very powerful for me to go through the training because as i did i unearthed another related kind of to the pcos thing the belief, and this is one of your three foundational beliefs you find most people have, which is what I want is not available to me. So going back to my story earlier, as I mentioned, not feeling like I got loved in the ways and the methods that I wanted to be loved, I felt that the love I wanted was not available to me. So that's played out in my romantic life in many ways throughout my entire life as well. And so I've been in this recording or I've been doing the work and I've done some sessions to clear those pieces not related to the health issues, and yesterday I had a situation come up and I was just about to talk to a friend about it and we didn't have enough time to have the conversation and she literally said she could feel my brain rewiring itself because I was so free to say, okay, we'll talk about it later. And it was not this big, heavy, oppressive thing that in my past life, it totally would have felt that way. So it was amazing to see my own reactions to situations and triggers totally shift as I actually am incorporating from this subconscious level, these things that I've been working on even just over the past week or week and a half. Yeah, because it's so true that once you have this belief that love isn't available to me, what you do is you shut yourself down to love. If you think it's not available, you stop letting people love you. You don't allow yourself to be with someone. You might meet a guy, but you'll act out and be very destructive because the belief is he can't really love me and maybe for a couple of days or weeks, but he's just going to dump me afterwards. So therefore I should act in a way that's so bad he'll dump me early or I'm just going to not turn up and I'm going to be very destructive. And so, so many clients have this belief. It's extraordinary. Love isn't available. Health isn't available. Happiness isn't available. Being well is not available. Even being like other people is not available. And none of these things are true because no baby is born depressed or scared of bees. In fact, if you give a baby a bee, it'll put it straight in its mouth. And if you put it on a plane, it, it doesn't just go to sleep. So all the fears we have, we're only born with two fears, and that's the fear of loud noises and the fear of being dropped. There is no other fear. You know, babies aren't scared of heights or electricity. They'll stick their fingers in a dog's mouth or in a fire 
if you don't have fire guards because they're kind of fearless kamikaze pilots. And then you think, oh, so if I've got all these fears, that means I acquired them. Absolutely. And if you acquired them, you can be free of them forever. You just need someone quite skilled who can uncover where you got them from and free it. And really, if I had to analyze what rapid transformation therapy is, it's very simple. I gather information from a client like a good detective. I get this information. The client and I together make sense of the information. What did that make me believe? How's that affected me? How's it made me the way I am? And then we change it. Okay, I don't have to be that way anymore. I see how and why it did this, but I don't need to do that now. And then you set them free. So it's like being a detective and a surgeon. You gather information and work out what it means. You're looking for clues. And then you extract from the client anything that's been painful. And you leave them really transformed. And you give them a recording that absolutely wires in that transformation and do the whole thing in 90 minutes. It's incredible. And I can say, you guys, your consciousness is not the answer here. So as you're thinking about this stuff and trying to think your way through this and not have to do the subconscious work, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get to that deep root because I can tell you, I would say, I had no reason to shut off my periods. I had no reason to think that I didn't have the love I want available to me. I had no reason to think any of the thoughts that my subconscious was operating under. It was only when I went into the subconscious that I could see and clear it. It really truly is not about your conscious mind and what you quote unquote know. It's about what the subconscious is currently believing from something probably very off base or not useful or helpful that you just need to look at, eradicate and eliminate. Yeah. You know, when I very first studied hypnosis, I was always late for everything. I mean, I was just, I missed planes. I just, I could not get anywhere. I wanted about 10 hours to get somewhere. I'd be late. And of course, compared to the rule, you're just lazy and you're just not organized and you're just not prioritizing. If I go into a coach, they would have gone, okay, we're going to prioritize. We're going to put all your clothes out the night before. And they would do all this strategic stuff to make me on time. But in hypnosis, I remember being a little girl and my father was the headmaster of one school and there was a bus that really was so near our house. And I just had to run and get that bus and I missed it every day. And every day I'd I'd walk back to my own house feeling desperate. My father would be so cross. And he'd get out the car and he'd have to drive me three miles to my school. And I understood that as a child, I did that to get his attention. I was desperate for his attention. I never understood that because I never missed the bus coming back because he wasn't going to come and pick me up. I didn't have an ability to phone him. I only missed the bus going because then I would walk back to my house, which was only about three blocks and say I missed the bus and he drive me to school furious but I felt important because he drove me to school he never made me walk and I got alone time with him the day I went back to that scene I was never late again it just stopped like that it was like my mind was making me late and programming me to be late against all my great instincts and um and it's very hard to fight that logically because my wiring said if you're late Everyone knows you, and they do. You walk into the cinema late, or everyone turns around and looks at you. It's really uncomfortable. You get a lot of attention when you're late, and I had to keep saying to my mind, I never want that negative attention again, and it all went away. 
That's so amazing. Okay, so for anyone that is now <laughs> interested in getting a session and clearing something in their physical or their mental mind that's causing them pain, where can they go to find an RTT therapist? So if you go to marissapeer.com, that's M-A-R-I-S-A-P-E-E-R.com, and then go to find a therapist, you will find a therapist in your area if you can't find one, I mean, we, we're listing new people all the time, and some people are a bit late in sending in their listings. Just email support at marissapeer.com, and we'll find you a phenomenal therapist in your area. Fortunately, part of the training is learning how to do Skype gnosis and Zoom gnosis, and I see many, many, many clients on Skype and all my graduates are trained to do Skype. And I know the lovely girl who worked with you, Anne, is in Germany and is German, but that didn't affect her doing a phenomenal session with you. So if you're in the middle of nowhere or we happen to not have someone in your area, we will give you an amazing person who can do Skype. So marissapeer.com, find a therapist or support at marissapeer.com. And we've got some amazing people doing amazing work. And I know that you, Jessica, days into the training, went to a wedding and did some therapy with someone and it was very effective. I did it for three people and I actually recorded a session basically adapting what I did for them for the show. So for listeners, so if you haven't already listened, guys, go back to last week's episode and you can listen to how I help you have the best day ever by choosing the emotion you want to feel and then commanding your body to feel it the rest of the day. So that was just a little adaptation of some of the skills I learned. And I know the audience, I know you guys, and I know a lot of you are into learning different modalities to help others in well-being and wellness areas. You might even be a coach yourself or a therapist and you want to learn more about RTT. My suggestion personally would be have an RTT session yourself to get a taste for it. And also, if you're interested in becoming a therapist and learning how to do this work, Marissa, how can they learn how to be a therapist themselves? We have two different ways. We do RTT online. That's the online training course. And you can, again, go to support at marissapeer.com and say, please tell me about the online training course. Or we have live training. We're doing a course in London in October. The live training is 10 days with a two-day gap. And then it's actually a 450-hour training, but you do a 10-day training live. And then you're given the online course and you continue to do some training at home and you get two certificates immediately after 10 days and two after the next 12 months. So the live course, we're doing one in London in October. We're doing one in Los Angeles in November, which is really exciting. And we may be doing one in Bali in February next year. So you can do a live course, you can do an online course. The certification is different. Obviously, you get better certification if you do the Live course with the online training is remarkable. We've got people in New Zealand who are just doing phenomenal work. I've never met them. I've had a few people in America who are just getting extraordinary results, and I've never met them. And the online course is amazing. Yes, actually, I met someone at the live training who had done it in America online had been practicing it. And then she did the sessions, obviously, as we were when we were learning to practice for the first time. And she was excellent. And I remember I was in her, I was being graded along with her. She was in my pair. So she was the person next to me. And the graduate that was giving her the feedback was like, you've done, done an excellent job. And she's already got it nailed because of the work that she's done with the online course as well. 
yeah, you can really learn both ways. I love doing it live. I found so much personally, so many pieces clicked into place for me and so many aspects of my life just watching you do the work with the clients that had so many serious, serious issues that weren't even related to anything I had, but it just helped me see so much about myself. So even just for yourself, your own insight you gain for yourself is incredible. So Marissa, I'd love to ask you the last two questions I ask all my guests, starting with what internal doubts or resistance are you currently going through? I, I actually very curious on your question because I feel like you would hypnotize yourself out of it. But what's going on? Well, interesting, the, the doubts, as you probably see being on the course, I was working with a girl with cerebral palsy to get her brain neurons to change. And for extraordinary lucky that in the group, in the audience was a doctor who specializes in cerebral palsy, who said, you know, this is amazing and all doctors should know this. And so half the medical profession put up their hands and go, I just love this. And of course, I've addressed the Royal College of Medicine, but the doubts are getting other doctors to say, really, you can actually get the neural pathways of the brain to change by commanding. It's like, yes, we know the brain can change. And RTT is just one of methods. There are others that will get the brain to change so the doubts are, you know, people think it's woo-woo. It's like some weird preacher saying, heal by the power of the Lord. And getting people to understand it's actually accessing the brain to work differently. And I know it works. And my clients know it works. And people in the audience like you see these people that come up on the stage. It's shaking and, it's, and just come off. And every day they're like, wow, that's not even the same person. It's almost too good to be true. So getting the medical profession at large, getting doctors to recognize how powerful it is, that's the doubt because it just it's so easy. They think, well, this must be hard. This must take five years of training. So that's my only doubt. It's almost so powerful that people just can't understand how quickly you can learn it and how effective and think there must be something else. Aren't you doing two clinical trials to help relieve those doubts for people? Yeah. The clinical trials take two years. You know, it's a long time. They're constantly looking at data and assessing it. So, you know, it's exciting. I know that I'm changing the face of therapy and, and making history in the world of therapy. So I don't have any doubts. But the doubt is how quickly I can get other people to see this. And, of course, a lot of existing therapists really believe that therapy should be long and take forever and take years with no expectation of changing. And it's like, wow. I, I just don't understand why people even want to do that. I see it worked once, but, you know, we live in a fast world. I don't think we have time for that anymore. So a lot of them are a bit resistant to what I do. And it isn't a doubt. I just understand that. I can see why. Yeah. And there are actually talk therapists in the course learning to do this as well. So I thought that was pretty powerful to see people switching. And, and doctors who've actually given up their whole practice and shut it down. And reopened. You saw the one who's just written a book, Marita, who sent the book across. Um, she was in one of my previous courses, and she's actually closed down her therapy. I had a surgeon fly over from Finland who shut down her therapy and said, "You know, I want to help people. That's why I became a doctor. I don't want to push pills. And this method helps people more efficiently, more rapidly, and with better results. I mean, of course, if you break a leg, you absolutely want a doctor to help you. But when you're dealing with people's emotional issues," Drugs are not the way to go. They just numb you. So one of my clients said, I can't have sex with my husband because I'm depressed. And I went to the doctor, put me on Prozac. And now I can't have sex, but I don't care because I can't feel a thing. I'm just numb. I don't actually think that's that helpful. 
I think this is going to sound crazy and too good to be true, as you said. All I can say is that give it a try for yourself is all I can say. Try this out for yourself and see because your conscious mind may have doubts, but that's because it's not getting into that slower alpha brainwave to get into the subconscious, unearth what's there, clear it, and move on from the deepest 95% of you level. So please try that out, guys, if it feels right for you. And last but not least, Marissa, what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? I would say to them, understand your mind. You need to know three things about your mind. If you know what they are for them to practice, you won't have doubts. You see, your mind should be your best friend. It should be a cheerleader. You should be saying every day, yay, you can do that. Look at you. Go, girl. You're amazing. And if it isn't doing that, it's because of three things. First of all, your mind listens to what you say. And if you say, God, if I don't get that job, it'll be the end of the world. If the IVF doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself because I can't go on without a baby. So be very careful of the words you use. Secondly, your mind only responds to the pictures and words in your head. So make the words amazing, make the pictures amazing. And thirdly, and this is the hardest thing people to get about the mind, it likes what is familiar. It would like to keep running back to what it's used to. And you have to make being lazy, procrastinating, going out with guys when you know that you could do better. A fear of rejection, not letting in praise. If you make all of that unfamiliar and make praise familiar, a guy just thinking you're the best thing ever. Believing in yourself, pick some really good things and make them familiar. Make the opposite unfamiliar. So that's all you need to know about the brain. Likes what is familiar, but can be wired to go for what's unfamiliar. Responds to the pictures and what words in your head and does what it thinks you want. Tell it what you want. Make the words pictures amazing. Embrace stuff that is good and unfamiliar till it feels like you've done it all your life. And then your journey will be phenomenal and you'll feel amazing pretty much all the time. It really is possible, guys. I hope you guys explore this more. You can go to Marissa Peer, as Marissa just said, for more information. And you have a ton of stuff on YouTube, and people can look up so much of your products, your books, your classes. If you don't even want to do an RTT session, you can still learn from her in so many other ways. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we have a handful of episodes coming up to give people a taste of what this transformation can look like for different clients in the future. So we'll have those coming up. But thank you so much for sharing your work with us. I'm so excited for people to now know what is possible for them as well. Well, thank you. And I'm always giving stuff away. So go to marissapeer.com and we'll give you some free downloads and some free CDs to make you feel phenomenal. Awesome. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you want to send Marissa a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Marissa Peer Therapy. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in subconscious lively. And also, this is kind of exciting. Marissa and her team are looking to hire a joint CEO slash relationship director for the company. So if you're interested in applying, head over to marissapeer.com slash jobs. The role of joint CEO is to mastermind the journey from their current position to that of a movement. The CEO must be a strategic thinker and have extremely high relationship building skills because they will be required to demonstrate and execute those skills by forging strong ties with other world-class thought leaders. Again, if that sounds like you and you want to know more, head over to marissapeer.com jobs. 
And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Marissa Peer. And as for where I'm headed to next, I am moving, but this time just from Chelsea in London to Fulham in London. I'm going to be house-sitting for my friends Emily and James for the next nine days and living with their cat Lola, which I've never done before. So hey, something new flowing my way even still. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 